This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Well, welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. It is podcast number something, something and something. I don't remember these things, but welcome nonetheless. My name is Tim Simmons. I'm from Manchester, one of the people that uh, um, works on broadcast. Um, And we have three people with us today to have uh, a conversation about uh, Brits who go church planting into secular Europe. And uh, I think there are lots of things in that uh, that we are going to dig into, probably over a few uh, conversations. Um, And we have with us from Dublin, we have Steve Vaughan at Christ City Church. Um, From Stockholm, we have uh, Phil Whittle from Grace Church. And from Amsterdam, we have Matt Simmons uh, from Liberty Church, all of whom felt the call of God to go and plant churches and left the UK with the intention of going to start a brand new church in their respective cities, um, which comes with all of the uh, things that you would expect in moving family and finding jobs and starting churches. And there are lots of stories to tell in this. Um, And we'll kind of pick through that. We'll look at um, the different models that they had in church planting. My hope is that um, they will argue amongst themselves about which is the best way of doing it. And there'll be interesting debates um, in this as we go. Um, they'll talk about our, the cities that they're in, the kind of cultural dynamics, um, the reality of what it is uh, to actually learn a culture and then try and apply the gospel to it. Um, so going from books to real worlds, uh, I think will be really interesting as well. Um, but to start with, let's just kind of go around uh, the room and we'll start with uh, Steve in Dublin. Just tell us a little bit who you are, why did you go, a little bit of family, uh, and then we'll kind of work our way around the room. Steve. Great. Thanks, Tim. Uh, yeah, so I'm Steve Vaughan, based in Dublin. I have um, a wife, two kids, and we're debating the dog, so that may come on the radar shortly. Sure. We've been in Dublin coming up 10 years. We moved here in 20, September 2012, so we're coming up to our, to our decade here. Uh, I let I was a pastor in Mosaic Church in Leeds uh, with Matt Hatch, Chris, Chris Mason, people like that, like, like those guys, and uh, we moved here for a number of reasons. Uh, the the kind of key thing for me was when I my wife and I had always been Leanne, my wife and I had always been thought persuaded that we might uh, go and plant a church in an urban centre, kind of riffing off. Uh, Roland Dahl and John Stott, Tim Keller kind of theology and and Paul's missionary methods. And when the moment came for us to consider that when I was 30, we did a little Google search of all the New Frontiers churches in the UK and thought, where are the cities in the UK that could do with a church? And there was about 250 red dots from my memory. And then my wife just happened to span over to Ireland and there was one in the whole of this island. And that was just the most arresting moment for us. I'm actually half Irish. My dad's Irish, sort of the Anglo-Irish background. Um, and then we started to do a bit of research about Dublin and the needs there. And it became very, uh, very sort of clear that this is where the Lord was leading us. So I can share maybe more later, but that's a bit about who I am and where I am. Very good. So that was quite a, it sounds a relatively pragmatic. We wanted to go church planning. We looked at a map and, and then went for it. Is that fair? That is fair. I think the the deeper conviction of planting churches in urban centres had already been settled in our hearts. 
So that sort of was there. And then it was a case of now's the moment to ask. And yes, it was quite pragmatic. We looked at a map and said, where is their gospel need? One of the things we discovered about the Republic of Ireland, uh, don't forget you've got the island of Ireland, Northern Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland. Be very clear about those things or you'll get into trouble. Mm-hmm. So in the Republic of Ireland is the least reached English-speaking people group with evangelical witness. Mm which is a statistic that most people don't know. Mm. Uh, and so once we discovered that, and then we, the New Frontiers picture is the picture. There's one for 250. You know, that's it. Like, it doesn't matter what network you're looking at. There's just, there's not much going on. And the mm. churches here are small, uh, typically, historically. Um, the Reformation never got to Ireland. Um, the, uh, yeah, the churches are just it's small, small, small. A lot of towns and villages don't have churches or just a little house church, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so when we looked at it, a bit about my background, I'd visited growing up every other year to my cousins in Dublin. Uh, we knew it was uh, the place. The other thing that was interesting from a Dublin though, that I guess the Lord used to draw us deeper here was when we were thinking of coming, this is 2011, we we're doing our research. Um, Dublin had the sort of the, there'd been a collapse of the Catholic church because of the sex scandals and not just the scandals, the cover up had really riled the people. And the anti-Catholic sentiment and anti-institutional church sentiment was 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 very strong, uh, particularly under the age of forty. Uh, sorry, over the age of so now my my age and above, um, the, the, the the under forties now are sort of slightly more innocent because they they haven't grown up with all that. But uh, the Pope visited the Highland in nineteen seventy nine. It was like one point three million turned up to Phoenix Park. You visited a few years ago and 100,000 did. So, yeah. you know, it's just been a, a massive swing over 20 years. So not only was the Catholic Church in massive decline, mass numbers decreasing for the first time in like hundreds of years, like at rapid rates. Um, the second thing that was happening was that there'd been what's called the crash of the Celtic Tiger. And Ireland had sort of borrowed a lot of money. And when the 2008 crash happened, Ireland was hit really bad, you may mm-hmm. remember. Um and so the not only had the religious institutions let the people down, the political and financial institutions had let the people down. So there was a <laughs> sense in which there was a cultural revolution mm. going on and uh, it felt like a fun place. I don't, I don't think Ireland's open for revival yet, but it's open for new ideas and that encouraged me <laughs> as a Brit coming in. So there's a bit of, that's a bit more of the story of how the Lord drew us here. Yeah, yeah. no, it's very interesting. Uh, I think a common theme that may come out is the... Um, the the lack of interest in going to church in your respective nations. So, yeah. um, um, Phil, tell us a uh, do a similar thing. Tell us a bit about your your story. Yeah. Um, so, um, I'm married to Emma. Um, we've got two kids, uh, Noah and Anna. They're 13 and 11. And uh, we've been in Stockholm. We've been in Sweden uh, since 2011. So we've just we've passed our 10 years but we've been in Stockholm which is where I live and planted Grace Church um, we moved here in in 2012 so we're coming up to sort of 12 uh, 10 years in the city and um, we uh, I was leading church in Shrewsbury uh, called Hope Church um, which planted and then and then around about 2008 9 began to kind of sense that there was another chapter something different um, and into that as we began to kind of pray and seek um the country we kind of were very open like you know basically said to god we'll, we'll go anywhere you tell us to go and we'll do anything that you want us to do you know so you know you know pretty much blank check kind of thing um could have been could have been anywhere we kind of had our preferences 
Um, uh, you know, there are places which are easier. There are places where you're aware of the scale of the challenges and different things like that. But you know, that's what that's what it was. Um, and so yeah, and we into that we felt like God was saying to us Sweden, which became where I sort of describe it as you kind of do various checks. You know, kind of like you talk to people. You, you investigate, you talk to more people, some people in the ground of Sweden, some people in different, you know, wisdom. And it was like going through town and each time you get to traffic light, the light was all green. So we just kept pursuing it till we got to the point where it was like, it's probably just going to be just disobedient of us if we don't go now. Mm. Um, we felt like things had become so clear. The way had opened up for us in, in ways which were just kind of confirming that. And so, yeah, so then we moved... Um, moved in uh, 2011 spent a few months different part of the country kind of learning language getting ourselves set up looking for a house to go and live in which we're at, we are now and um and then, and then moved start and then kind of began straight away really so i opened mm. up my home with a small group of people and started meeting around our kitchen table and that was that was that was how it all got started very good so it's something a bit similar it seems in a it's pragmatic is doesn't seem quite the, a fair word because for both of you so far it's actually what god is doing in you about church planting and um and reaching the nations um but you just kind of both of you seem to go we'll go where you send us which is uh i think is, I'd, I'd agree with steve like i had we had that conviction mm. about church planting i don't think maybe not quite as clear as steve that it had to be urban Mm. um but we were not at that point i i, I guess um because i've been in a sub i've been in an estate so the church in in england was in a, just a, an estate in a town so it wasn't you know it wasn't a city ministry at all in any kind of way mm. um very very different and um um but the conviction of church planting and then wanting to go to places where there was real gospel need and not mm. and not particularly where we were kind of you know where we felt we looked where you know where are the dots on the map oh there's virtually none here right okay so let's go you know that's a good candidate for going mm. so yeah yeah and that for me that just to, to jump in there that exactly fits with it so it's like there's an for me anyway there's a conviction and we could talk about that if that's helpful then there's the need where's the gospel need and then in my experience it sounds similar to Phil a story starts to develop over a location as you investigate it so mm. you just you start like going well maybe Lord and well oh, I'm half Irish or you know we looked at Sweden for whatever reason and and then you chat with one person then you chat with another and then you find out a bit about the cultural history and this is my you know and after four or five trips over to Dublin loads of Zoom well Zoom didn't exist Skype calls um, you know then suddenly the that sort of sense of the Lord drawing you and and I like your language it almost becomes dis I say to people once I discovered oh the other the other fact about Ireland was it become the tech capital of Europe and that was just a fascinating mix like this whole new development of Google and Facebook everyone's here so once you start to piece it all together it's like where else would we go mm. like how could we go anywhere else now that all this is clear to me you know that was so it, it's similar sounds what what phil had with, with, with stockholm what i had with dublin so yeah very good yeah very good and uh matt tell us a little bit about how you guys got from uh got to um amsterdam yeah we were we we were living in in brighton uh, on the south coast of the uk uh we've been there for about eight years uh, having having not grown up there, um, serving the church there and involved in, in various different other things. And um, I think, in a sense, our story was a little bit different from these guys, um, although I'm sure there would definitely be similarities. Uh, I've been involved in, in running a big 
uh, youth event that we were in the UK called New Day, and I've been doing that for nearly a decade. And then I felt quite clearly God tell me to to stop that, but I didn't have any. There wasn't a stop and do this. I just felt God tell me to stop it. Um, not that I was doing anything wrong, but just to to that there was something else for us. So I basically worked out a, a year long notice. I said I'll do one more year and then and then I'll I'll quit. So I did that and then spent a year praying. Joe and I did and didn't hear didn't hear anything at all. It was it was a very silent year in that respect. And then we got to the last new day. So it's like a week long kind of Bible week with thousands of teenagers. And up until the the second to last day, and then all of a sudden God spoke to us really clearly in the space of with the space of just a few hours. Really, three different people. Um, came to two to me and one to Joe and basically all prophesied the same thing that God was calling us to move uh, into Europe as in into mainland Europe outside of the UK to be involved in in church planting Um, so when three different people will say something really similar uh, it's sort of that 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 definitely hits home Uh, and then in a sense um a bit like these guys, I could have gone anywhere in Europe at, at that point, but began to feel God leading us to the Netherlands. And then when you think of the Netherlands, the first place you think of is is of, of Amsterdam, the, the capital city. So we'd never been here before, and we just came and had a visit. I think Joe, my wife, was about six, seven months pregnant at the time. So she kind of just waddled around the city, and uh, we just explored... Uh, just for a couple of days and just had a really clear sense of yeah this is this is it this is where this is where God's gonna send us to um and as you do begin to just push a few doors and see where what God opens up next and I went back and talked to our leaders the elders in the church in Brighton and they said Matt this is just well they said two things first of all we don't think you can do this. And second of all, this is this is too soon. Slow down. Um, so then there was a sort of a three-year period. How did you, when you heard that, because that, that doesn't sound like massively encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> how, what, how did you, how did you react? Like in your, in like heart kind of, did you go away just discouraged or did you just, did you receive what they said with a kind of glad and joyful heart and thought, what wise leaders I've got who are helping me? What, what, how did you react? So, so the we'd um, how it played out was they'd um, we'd gone away and we had this weekend in Amsterdam, and then about a month later, I went with Joel Virgo, who leads the church in Brighton. We went on a on a trip to to Berlin to visit a, a church plant there, and on on the way back on the plane, Joel sort of downloaded this to me, uh, and at the time I sort of. Um, I can't remember how I felt at that time. But anyway, there was a meeting about a week later where Joe and I then met with Joel and a couple of the elders and Joel went through the same stuff. Uh, and in a sense, I, w- I was definitely very disappointed and took didn't take the news well. <laughs> but in a sense, the meeting was, was, in a sense, it was almost the making of us because at that point I realised, no, God said this. Like, I have to do this. As you said earlier, Phil, it was a sense of it became a point of obedience to God, really. Like, God said this. And I just, that cemented it so clearly in my heart. 
So I actually had a, um, I can't quite remember how it came up in the conversation, but I was trying to make the point to Joel and his elders. Now I feel really clearly that God's said this. And, uh, and Joel said, well, has, has anyone else, you know, have you got any other confirmation? He said, cause you know, we, we're not thinking this is the right thing. Have you got anyone else that said, and I said something along the lines of you could line up every pastor in New Frontiers and they could all say we were wrong and I'd still go because... <laughs> <laughs> and then you dropped the mic and walked out, yeah? <laughs> I wouldn't advise you to do that. That's... <laughs> That's what you tell your congregation when you give them advice now, don't you, Matt? You sort of go, guys, you always make sure you weigh up advice, come to your yeah. church leaders and then just drop the mic on them. Yeah, totally. Just just ignore ignore everybody else. <laughs> just do what you want. Uh, um, so there wasn't the most mature response. But I think in that moment, God just did something in our hearts and we just knew, uh, not just me, I think everybody in the room saw in a very raw, <laughs> unformed way, they saw that God had just given us faith through it. Um, I think that's the, the advantage of when you're in a good relationship with leaders, which you, which you had, is that you can express conviction. So even if it's even if it's conviction that's not necessarily expressed in the wise, you know, in the wisest thought, because it's raw, because it's an emotion, but it's also conviction. And I think that 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 you know, as leaders, as leaders now, maybe of sitting on the other side. You've got to be able to have that wisdom to just kind of process what's going on and go, actually, what I'm hearing is conviction, not necessarily kind of disregarding or sort of, you know, doing their own thing. I'm hearing someone share their heart about I'm convicted to go. Mm. Um, and that does change the that changes the tone a little bit, especially if you've got a good relationship. You're not you're not fighting. You're going, oh, well, OK, no, you, you, you're really serious. Aren't you? Mm. And you yeah. go, oh, yeah. And yes, I, re I really am. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, very good. Uh, so, Matt, how long have you been in Amsterdam? Um, seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. So you're approaching a decade. You're getting towards it. You guys have been on the ground uh, for a decade each, there or thereabouts. Um, and uh, I, I knew all of you before you went. And so I've kind of observed from a distance how... Uh, with more knowledge of some than others, uh, how you've got on. So uh, it seems that you all kind of went as pioneers with not many other people with you, maybe a few, but not loads. Um, and you can correct me on that. Um, but you went to start a church from basically nothing. Uh, and conviction and faith, actually, like Phil just said, it seems a vital component of that for you even still to be there. So firstly, kudos for still being there. Um, but tell us a little bit, what did you have right at the beginning in terms of people? Uh, I'm going to ask you about numbers. Church plants hate talking about numbers or love talking about numbers, depending on their last Sunday. Um, I'll ask you about numbers then and where are you up to now? So give us kind of those uh, big stories. Uh, Matt, why don't you start us off with that? Yep. So when, when, we, when we moved here, we moved with uh, two other families from the UK, one from our church in Brighton, one from a church in London, and then we connected with two families already living in the Netherlands, although neither of whom were in were in Amsterdam. So when Joe and I landed on the ground, we were the first people in the city. We didn't know anyone in the city at all. We'd literally met no, you know, as we'd met people and had conversations. But in terms of people, we would count as friends. We knew no one in the city. 
and then our team began to arrive over over a, a couple of months after that. Um, so yeah, it was it was ten adults and I think eleven kids was was how we started. Yeah. Um, so what was the next part of the question? Well, I was going to say those first couple of years were a relatively slow burn, weren't they? Yep, yep. So that that um, even amongst that team, uh, we had people drop out and then new people come even in the first few months, really. So so after about eighteen months, there would have been maybe I think we'd added maybe two or three people, so we'd have had about thirteen adults. And I was beginning to think at this pace of growth, this is going to take a while. You know, if I'm adding one person every six months, then uh, did then your we... mind flash back to that the, to that meeting in Brighton at that moment and think, I wonder if they were right? <laughs> Most days, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Um, and so, where are you now? So uh, now, well, well, let me give two answers because it's difficult to know right now. We're just we're just coming out of a, our third season of relaunching after lockdown. So I don't really know who's in our church at the moment uh, is in terms of how many people will show up on a Sunday. Uh, just before we went into lockdown in what March 2020, we just launched our third Sunday service and we were gathering around 250 to 300 people on, on a Sunday. In a big um, big church in the centre of Amsterdam. Right? Yeah, so we meet in a place called the Vondelkerk, which is a big... Uh, is next to one of the entrances to the Vondel Park, which is like the most famous park in the country. It's like Hyde Park mm. or Central Park in New York, and we we're kind of right by the entrance, so it's um it's it's a prime prime position. It's old historic church building, really beautiful. Mm. Are you good. Dutch speaking or English speaking? Bit of both. Uh, the church is English speaking. Yep. Um, I mean the the. Be careful how I say it because I'm not sure how true it is at the moment. But the the two or three, or maybe even more than that, three or four biggest churches in the city are all English speaking. Mm. There there are some big Dutch speaking churches, but the main ones are, are English speaking. Um, and many many Dutch people feel very comfortable worshiping in English. So it's not that they're all international churches. They're churches with lots of Dutch people in them as well. Um, I mean, that's a, a different question. I'm, I'm sure at some point we will introduce more Dutch or launch Dutch services. That's definitely definitely something we'd love to do. But yeah, predominantly English speaking. With, we'll, uh, we'll sing songs in Dutch every now and again. We'll have other Dutch elements. Um, but normally when we introduce more Dutch things, it's the Dutch people in our church who tend to complain about it. Because <laughs> you do a bad job. Well, just their English is so good. Yeah, that if you, you know, even if you put the song words on the screen in English and then in Dutch, they'll be oh, please don't do that because they're then they'll be critiquing the, you know, the translation as you go, and it will just be distracting. So, and and final question because I'm sure this will be relevant for all of us in different ways. Of how many? What's the percentage is Dutch and what's the percentage is internationals in the church for you roughly? Yeah, so at the moment it would probably be about um, a third of the church would be Dutch. About a third would be other other European, uh, and about a third would be everywhere else. Yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, and and the city is the city itself is about fifty fifty, as in fifty percent Dutch, fifty percent everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. yeah very good. Um, Steve, same to you. How did you start? Where are things now? 
Yeah, we uh, very similar. So we had one lady uh, come with us from Leeds, uh, and she was an amazing, faithful servant. Just decided to pitch in with Leanne and I, and we had a three and a one year old, Jacob and Annabelle. So she was very brave. She actually arrived in Dublin six weeks before us because she got a job at the Luke University. So she was literally here before anyone else. And she's a gutsy lady. She'd never call herself that, but she was. Um, we then found a guy from, I can't remember which New Frontiers conference it was. It was a student type one who'd heard about us and he was in Portsmouth and he'd just come to the end of his job and he thought, do you know what? I'm interested in this and drove all the way up from Portsmouth to Leeds and he liked us enough after a day of, of chatting with us to say, do you know what? I'm, he was 27 and he's like, great, it sounds like an adventure. He thought he'd go to China, church planting in China. So I think Ireland seemed a lot easier than that. Um, and uh, so they were the two we had come with us. Then I preached at a church, New Frontiers Church in York just before going. Um, and uh, one guy who was from Northern Ireland we said, I've just finished my degree here. I'm about to move to Dublin. I'd love to pitch in. So that was a real confirming moment, actually. And he's still, all these people are still with us, which is wonderful. Um, and uh, so, he, so he joined straight away. It was, well, he was actually in Dublin six months before us. And um, and then we found, or I should say he found us, an American veterinary student from California found us online. He's like, I'm just about to arrive in to study veterinary for, for four or five years. Can I join in? So that was our eclectic group, six of us and, uh, and uh, have I said six there? One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, and two kids. Um, and we did house church for two years and, and really didn't do much in terms of advertising or anything like that. We'd been encouraged by a couple of voices kind of uncannily giving us similar advice, which was sort of walk the streets, pray, get to know people and don't do much for two years if you really want to embed into the culture. And uh, so we took that advice and did that. And, and that was definitely the right thing to have done in our context. Uh, not to arrive with a plan and a launch motif, but uh, we're just coming to learn the culture, get to know some people, establish ourselves. I, I think Stockholm and Amsterdam are the same. Very expensive city, Dublin. So it had to be financially viable for us. And so I had to get a job. I was full-time pastor at Mosaic and got a job. And, and that was an amazing answer to prayer. And still work bivocationally. So I've been bivocational the whole way. And um, so that was kind of the first two years. Uh, by the end of the two years of house church, we were about 15. So actually, ironically, very similar numbers to, 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 to what Matt shared there. And we launched in October 2020 with about 20 people, 25 people into a, a film studio basement it's got no windows and it's black and it's it's grungy in the center of temple bar if you've ever visited dublin that's a drinking district um and so we were right in there uh, and did a year in there um and now we then later we moved to a local inner city school called sing street and if you haven't seen the movie it's a fantastic movie in in and of itself but it will teach you about Irish culture or Dublin culture. So it's called Sing Street. We met in that school and still do. Um, and again, it's a bit like Matt, where are we post-COVID? But we're about 100 people. And uh, that's where we are, mainly 18s to 35s. Um, that's, and that's who we came to reach. Um, that was the generation that had been let down by everyone and was out of church uh, in Ireland. And so they were really on our heart. Um, and Steve, do you, have, do you have a mix of is it are they are they Irish are they Irish Dubliners or are they people from other other places that happen to be in Dublin? You know, um, Famji. 
Yeah, similar to Matt, interestingly, I don't know the exact numbers, but I would guess it's it's similar. We're probably about somewhere like a third Irish, maybe a touch more if you include Northern Ireland. So the island of Ireland, we're probably about a 40%, maybe even a little bit more. And then we'd be, the next tranche would be um, uh, English or, or European, and then the next would be um, outside of that as well. So North America, um, wherever Australia, South Africa, uh, lots of South Africans arriving in uh, in uh, in uh, Dublin right now. Um, Stay in Stockholm. Yeah. yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah, and they're, they're great people. Um, and apart from their rugby, um, so uh, so yeah, so that's us. And uh, I the final thing I'd say from our context is. Dublin has, I think, again, I imagine both your cities do, but has two cities within it. And this isn't my thinking, but it's helpful. I, I've got it from a pastor in, in, in Washington, D.C., but, you know, it has a transient city and a long-term city, and never the two shall meet. So we found it very, we've been very effective at reaching the transient city, and actually we probably had about 250, I think, through, if not even more, but the amount that then don't stay for more than two, three, four years. So to to uh, so that's been a big that's been our big thing. We're over the first so actually we've been launched seven and a half years. We're coming up to eight years actually having a church. We've really done well at reaching the eighteen to thirty fives transient city, often Christians or students moving in from other parts of Ireland or whatever. Um, what we haven't done so well at, and this is basically where we're going to focus and we think a morning service and all kinds of things, is how do we now reach the long term city? The, the, the non-transient residents, the real local dubs. Um, so it's not as it's not as binary. Our church does have some people that are longer term and all this, but on the whole, it is a cosmopolitan, so international, 18 to 35s, uh, and quite transient. Um, which, as we think about the next decade, needs to change if we're to be sustainable and fulfil our mission to reach the Irish and 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 beyond so that's just an interesting dynamic that we're really grappling with uh in in the last couple of years and as we think about plans going forward so so that's us very good i think most uh, churches in cities would grapple that there was a church in manchester that shut down about just before covid actually partly because they realized they were all transient and he just the the pastor couldn't deal with the fact he'd have to go through the rebuild again like it was the two to three year cycle of uh, mm. very studenty and he realized they were only about 50 or 60 people he realized he was going to lose 30 again in the summer and uh he, yeah couldn't get to uh yeah couldn't do the maths of what you described actually we need to reach the long term in the city um so yeah it is a, and, a and, genuine and big moment for a planter i think that. it's a big moment and i think it's interesting is that we've got lots of people that now that are going we're not transient we either were and we've caught the vision for the gospel in Ireland, which is the most exciting thing for me when that happens but otherwise no we've got a job or we just for whatever personal practical reasons we're actually are settling in at least midterm you know five mm. or ten years now and we're trying to help them go now you've got to be missionaries to this culture and actually, that's interesting because they never thought like that. They came, the church provided the community they needed. They did, they, you know, praise God, they started to grow in Christ and the church was valuable to them. Um, and yeah, they were looking to be evangelistic maybe in their context, but there was never this sense of how do I learn to be a missionary and embed myself and invest in this culture in a way that Leanne and I had spent years thinking about, praying about and trying to do. So we're trying to almost take the church on a bit of a journey that Leanne and I have been through um so that's just it's yeah that's, that's exactly where we're at and uh and praise god we have critical mass where you know we definitely have um you know plenty to to make sure we can build again we're not we're not in that stage where it's like mm. oh, we could all go up up in the air yeah. um but uh but yeah i tell you something though 
earlier on, year three, four, so as in one or two years into planting, I mean, you kind of did go, is this going to work? <laughs> I mean, the amount of times I, I mean, Matt kind of hinted there when he was in 18, and you kind of go, I mean, this is so fragile. I mean, it, it's bizarrely fragile. And if only people knew how fragile, like these people that are coming, these 30 or 40 that are coming, if they knew how fragile this whole thing was and like the financial situation or the... So it's it's interesting now, you kind of a bit, you feel more stable, but like, oh my word, you kind of, by the grace of God, you know? So that's a, it's an interesting part of living as a planter in secular mm. Europe where it's so slow in my experience that you have to handle that that tension or that it's fragile, it's slow. Uh, okay, Lord, we keep trusting, off, off we go, you know? Yeah. <laughs> go on, Phil. I was going to say, I think what helped me with those moments was the fact that we decided to be a long-term resident. Mm. So, so Correct. The, the fact that we just we were clear in our hearts that we weren't transient in that sort of two to three years thing. And so that even if, it wasn't quite taking off well we would just still keep going and if it was in the around the kitchen table which we love actually there's lots of things about that which is great but if that's what it was for longer than we might have expected then we were okay we were okay with that um and i think there is you know there are definitely moments particularly when you're trying to navigate a change in in how you're doing from say from a lounge to a summer's house to somewhere else or things like that where it is all a little bit like we have you know can we get through this and we've got to go back you know what's the we don't we, we let to the right time all those sorts of things but the fact that we would still be going really helped us kind of feel not too shake not too kind of what's the right word you know sort of yeah, personally shaken. Yeah, you, you, personally you can shaken say, by it. Yeah. I, I actually feel that's a very helpful comment because Leanne and I said to everyone, we're minimum 10 years. So in our mind, we knew that we were never going to be less. I mean, God can do it. But like, you know, that was our mindset. And now we're here. We're like, we're here forever, Lord, until you move us on. So we've even bedded in an, another level of commitment to the city and, and, our, and our love for it and all the rest. But um, that's actually very helpful, Phil, that you, you, you just know you're going to persevere and be faithful despite some of the, uh, the the transients around you. Yeah, it's good. So, Phil, what did you start with? What have you got? And yours is an interesting story. Yeah. Not, the, not the other two. <laughs> no, no, no. His is the interesting story. Yeah, yeah, Very yeah, happy to hear it. Yeah, true. okay, good. Um, so we started with seven adults and four kids. Um, so that was uh, a mixture of Swedes, um, married to Swedes, and a few, like us, Brits, um, who'd moved over. So... Um, that was where we started and the journey is kind of lots of a few ups and downs and stops and different kind of getting to, we kind of, we kind of bounced around at sort of 30 to 40 for a while, never quite getting through 40 in different sort of forms and just kind of get a bit stuck around there. But now, um, it's quite different. Um, so we've got two, we're essentially if you think of it like a multi-site church, except we're in one site and it's languages instead of geographical locations. So we've got currently two sites, languages uh, going on, and we're, about, and we're adding, a, we're in the process of adding a third. So we have an international one, which is in, in English, and that gathers on a Sunday, probably sort of 50, 60, but is probably 80, 90 if everyone, which they never do, show up on the same Sunday. that's And that is lots of, largest group of those people is South African. Um, then 
people from everywhere else and a few Swedes scattered in, you know, in there. Um, and and they're also, they're lots of the transients and, and we've probably had similar to Steve, twice as many come through um, and moved on. Um, we now have in the last couple of years, we have a Swahili speaking, congregation which as you is, do just as just to do. acknowledge that as, you as do, you're yeah. in sweden and you're yeah. having a swahili congregation yeah. as you do yeah well, he, well he, see here's the fascinating thing right i was um before i moved to sweden i was with some guys who were you know sort of plant we were planting with and we, we were being prayed for and i recently just like maybe a week or so ago went through some of the prophetic words the things that people had given me mm. and there's just a there's actually there's a fair bunch of things that haven't happened um and or at least haven't happened yet and you'd like sifting it through going i don't know what to do with that still 10 years later i don't know what to do with that probably it's a miss you think but in the midst of that there was this one section of a long section from one guy who prophesied a number of things and i think you and you sort of look at it going miss 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 and then in the mid and there's this section where it goes i see a um, influence with people from the un um, I probably should have dug it out and thought about it till just now. What happens now is we've got around 200 Congolese refugees who have been resettled in Sweden through the UN. And that's how they, they, they've all come through a, U, a United Nations program. Now, I think the guy who prophesied it was thinking, you know, someone who works in the UN or someone who leads the UN. What we've got which I think is actually even probably more biblical is we've got the poorest hmm. who've come to us through the UN. And so we've got, yeah, as I say, a couple of hundred um, Congolese refugees um, who've been resettled in Sweden. Congo is just a, such a mess of a country. It's, a, it's got the longest running war in the world, longer than Afghanistan. And uh, it's just a broken, failed country. And these hmm. people have fled violence and fled um, tribal ethnic hatred and they they've all were living in third countries near Congo in Rwanda Burundi Tanzania Uganda Zambia places like that in, in refugee camps some of them for decades and they've been resettled in Sweden and they found us um, somehow and uh, actually I know how uh, someone was learning Swedish American lady who was a transient with us uh, was learning Swedish and there was a guy who's there and she invited him to church and he came and he liked it and then he started inviting all his friends and before we know it we've got we've got ourselves a church and phil you know i was with you in stockholm having a, yeah. a beer at the top of that hotel about two weeks after that had happened and you're like steve i think we're gonna have loads and loads of congolese come along <laughs> because this yeah. guy seems to be the kind of leader of them yeah. and he wants yeah. his kids dedicated by me yeah. and he's suddenly yeah. like i'm his pastor and, yeah. and you were you were predicting yeah. the onslaught or, or the, the water you know the waterfall yeah. coming and that's exactly what's happened yeah and it has it has um you know there's there's all sorts of challenges to it there's layers of complexity to it um there's a, but mostly it's a joy um and and love these guys and is and and it just it's just the weirdest thing you know at the moment i'm the senior pastor of a congolese church and i know why what and i i don't want to be i don't want like in you know, like I, we're working on uh, eldership development for that for them at the moment so but that's kind of how it how it sits from from them 
from from their point of view not necessarily from mine but from their point of view i love um, that you're you're just a massive nerd from shrewsbury and <laughs> there you are congolese church in stockholm I just, well, I, bit, when I, well one of the other things i just think is like the grace of god really is that um <laughs> I, I went and worked i worked in burundi for um with tear fund for a year um mm. and i'd been to actually I've traveled across the border and been to some of the towns where they're from and um and some of them speak you know the so I just know they're part, I also know they're part of the world and I've got personally just a really big heart for mm. those people having been there and sort of just experienced a little bit of of what life is like for them. And when they show me the pictures, when they come in their dress, it just, you know, I'm just remembering what I saw and, and some of them are from towns where I, I worked in. And so I just feel like for me, that's just another, I don't, know, I don't know if there's any significance of it, but it just feels like, you know, God has not let anything go to waste in my in the stories and, and, and join things together um and so yeah and then and then kind of from steve was saying about sort of wanting to reach the long term is in the city well obviously you know sweden is a bit similar to, to what matt said um very high competence in in um in english so lots of swedes were very happy to to you know mix their worship but sweden despite its high competency is not it's not a bilingual country it's it's a Swedish speaking country, so we don't want to make the mistake of thinking it's bilingual when it's not really. Um, it's it's got high fluence competency, I would say. So we're we're in the process of launching a Swedish service, and we've got about twenty or so at the moment who are probably kind of committed to that. But I expect that we're doing monthly up till the summer, and then we'll increase it. Um, but I'm a kind of again. I've got there's a few people who've joined who are a bit like this. Uh, one of my Swahili friends who just seems to be people that bring people. And um, we've got some of those, and I think I think that maybe maybe not quite to the same speed, but something similar might happen mm. there as well. So Very yeah, good. so that's where we're at. I think in all of your stories, the thing that I'm most interested in, so we could get into kind of... He's a pastor of a Swahili-speaking yeah. church in Stockholm. Let's be honest. Let's just talk yeah, about it. No, it's mad. It is actually mad. But the thing that's fascinating, <laughs> you're, in your origin stories, and I'm a church planter as well, and uh, when we first start, in our mind and our heart, we have an idea of what we would like it to look like. Like if you'd have said, you know, Tim, in 10 years' time, what do you want? Uh, and like when you're stood there with, you know, in, in your front room and there's just five of you in that moment or you've just had to stand up to your eldest team and say, no, I'm going to go. Um, or, in that moment, you're thinking this is what it's going to look like. And then 10 years later, you look back and think, oh, what? How little did I know? And all of these things that happen. And actually, it's it's a quite a profound emotional journey and a spiritual journey for the planter themselves, I think. Um, especially um, which you guys have got and I haven't when you're in another nation, another culture, all the processing that you have to do with that with family and friendship and your own community life. All of those things are hugely molding influences on you. So I guess my, my question is really, if you're going to be honest now, we all can't. So Steve said, it. you know, we, we did. We were just going to learn the area and then see what happens. But uh, um if you were completely honest, this is where, when I first started, this is where I thought I could get to, where we could get to, and compare that with where you are now and what that 
process was. Does that is quite a convoluted way, but but Phil, get, give us when you first started because you actually had planted a church already, so you're on your seconds, which is up on the rest of us. But the, in your heart of hearts, if you're being brutally honest, after a glass of wine, you'd have gone, "Yep, this is what I believe can happen." And how did it kind of work through to where you are now? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think when we the, the point at when we were leaving. And if you'd asked me in 10 years, I would have probably said something like, I, I imagine there being two or three groups of 50 or 60. I kind of had in my, in my head that I, there would be a sort of a medium size planting sort of model where you would get to sort of 50, 60 and you start another one so that there would be kind of in different parts of the city that would be sort of networked together so trying to do more i guess rapid um things and imagining them coming together being a couple of hundred i guess i think that's the probably the sort of i was quite deeply influenced by a guy called john tyson from new new york and at the time he had this sort of parish city parish model going on and although he started from a different point of view I took that and thought actually I, I, I like there's a lot of things there that I like and I think they might work well in Stockholm and the way the city was organized and things like that and it, yeah, it, it hasn't worked out like that at all. <laughs> and how did you, this is a funny question but what does that feel like there is an emotional uh, part to this. Yeah um, I think I'm, I, you know I think I'm all right with it because because I think there's there's a lot you know uh, when you're in when you're in the city there's a lot of learning going on and I think you've just got to be you know you you, you start finding and you're doing cross-cultural and there's things that you, you you don't know that you don't know until you find out you know until you sort of come across them you go oh, I've never thought about that I've never seen that or, or, or whatever or stuff you even in all your research you just didn't you never came across or you didn't know um so I think there's I think just you know the methods might be mine but the purpose i feel like was god's mm. so so i kind of you know okay if it hasn't worked out like that i want to be flexible enough to go god well what what is the next step with this group what's the next fate step with from where we are now mm. rather than trying to force it into something which we couldn't this group of people couldn't do for whatever reason what is the faith step that we need to take? And I think that was, and that that just, that meant, that meant sort of going, okay, well, maybe these things will never happen. Maybe it's going to look different. And it has looked different. And I'm mm. all right with it. And, I, and I'm mm. okay with that. Because mm. I wasn't, you know, I, I had a method, but I, you know, the method was never the top thing. Mm. Yeah, very good. What about you, Steve? I was just thinking, I don't know if I did. I think I was quite naive. Um, in some ways, like I said, I didn't really, I just thought we'll, we'll go and have a go and I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, like it, it was a little bit like that. Um, I think a couple of things that helped me. So I didn't have a numbers thing. I think actually just as Phil shares, because we were at the same little conference that John Tyson spoke at all those years ago. And we heard all that. Well, I heard it with Phil anyway, for the first time for me. Um, I think I did have more of a, multipl a multiplication thing in mind. So that's a helpful memory. Uh, I think I did have that. And I actually still think that's there. And God willing, we'll, we're going to do that. You know, that's the next stage of, of our church. So it's just, it's going to happen, God willing, but just a bit, well, not even a bit later. I didn't know the timescales. I think we had been told, 
Yeah, Dublin was a place where church planters came and typically failed. And there'd been so many stories of that, that I wasn't like going, hey, here's how we're going to be, you know, after so many, because I was like, we're just trying to make it work. I'd also um, seen the existing churches in the city, a number of them. And yeah, there's a couple of slightly larger ones, but like a large church in Ireland is sort of three, four hundred people. I mean, that's a massive church in the Republic of Ireland. Um, And so most churches are around 20 to 70 so there was also just like a realism. That's the whole thing. If it's just a very unreached people with evangelical witnesses, believers in the Catholic Church, and there's all other things going on. But in terms of what we might call an evangelical expression of church, they're just very small numbers. Now, praise God, in the last 10 years, it has been strengthening. But I'd still say if you're a church of around 100, people go, oh, you're doing quite well, you know, for, for Ireland. Um, so in that sense, I wasn't, I didn't have like, here's the numbers we're going to have and here's how big we're going to be. Um but to answer, so, so yeah, so I don't think I did. And I think um, that was a really helpful thing for me. And I remember meeting with Phil, uh, whatever it was, five or six years in Stockholm, and that sense of like, if your expectations are dictated by UK church numbers, you're probably going to not work. So that has, to, so in a sense, emotionally, I think I processed, it's not going to look like Mosaic Church or what other church I knew from the UK. It, so, so I'd already made that disconnection, which I think was really important. Um, the thing that was the most surprising to me, uh, is I'm still bivocational. So I went to go to get a job because we had to afford, we had 40 grand to live. You know, that's how much you've been given us over a two year period. We probably could have eked out a bit more, like, you know, if we'd gone back to our supporters, but that's how much we'd raised. And, you know, Dublin is so expensive. That's going to get you a year, maybe a year and a half, depending on what else you can pull in. You know, that's it, really. So it was going to go like this, let alone trying to do ministry. That was just family, by the way. That was purely to support us, let alone ministry. So I had to get a job, but that job just ended up being the making of so much and on loads of levels that I never expected. And so it's still a surprise. If I think back at my 30-year-old self about to go church panting or about to turn 40, going, you're going to be working in business for 10 years. I'd be like, really? Um, so, you know, just a few headlines on that. The first one is, you know, the, the financial viability. in the city. A lot of church panters taught, I don't know if this is Phil and, and Matt's story, but the financial challenge of survival is a big, is a big preoccupation. And I see that with American missionaries over here. I see it with church planters. It's just this huge preoccupation. That's never been a preoccupation for us. So I've been in this, in, in the balance, uh, money rich, time poor. So getting everything done <laughs> in my time has been a challenge. But actually, just like Leanne and I and the kids can settle in Ireland, can get a home. You know, that's actually been a real a blessing. Um, and meant, to, to Phil's point earlier, we could have a long-term view about Ireland. We're not here like, is it going to work? Like, we can settle and we can build a, a life here as a family. And it's only been a blessing for Leanne and I to be here. We love the city. We love the country. We love the people. Our kids are very happy here. And I know that's not every church planter's story. So that's been a very positive thing for us. The The other thing, though, is that you, you said at the start of the podcast, uh, Tim, no one really wants to come to church in Ireland. No one's going, by the way, is Jesus Lord and where's the nearest church where I can find out? You know, that is not the question that the average person in Dublin is asking. So if, if you're not out there, you know, you've got no hope, really, because good advertising and stuff might bring in some. But you've got to get out there. And then so I think the, the, the credibility, the opportunity for evangelism, the ability to disciple Christians in the workplace in a secular culture that's quite hostile to faith. To me, I'm in there with you, you know, all that has been um, vital.
So, so that would be some of the things I didn't expect and has been a blessing and um, really, really significant in our journey. Yeah, very good. What about you, Matt? I wish I had as mature an answer as those two. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same. I'm like, mm, I'm glad I'm interviewing, not, I'm not answering questions. <laughs> when we started, it was definitely a mixture of trying to be humble and come and learn and have, you know, just hear other people's experiences and, and similar to, to what Steve was saying, uh, I, I was told within a few weeks that Amsterdam was the graveyard of church plants. It's where church plants come to die, is what one, one guy told me. So, you know, there was definitely definitely processing all of that and not trying to come with any crazy, naive dream. But then at the same time as that, I wrote a 15-year strategic plan for our church. <laughs> 15 years strategic plan. So I'm about halfway through. <laughs> uh, and it, it was it some of it was pretty grand as in at the end of the 15 years I had closed the red light district that was that was the <laughs> concluding part of our 15 year strategic plan so there we go are you halfway there <laughs> closing the red light district actually remarkably in the last seven and a half years it has it they're actually talking about closing it right now well they're talking about moving it out of the city centre, so they're not closing it. But um, the whole way the local government has started um, treating it is is completely turned around from where they used to see it as just sort of a, um, you know, maybe just like a negative side effect of their liberalism. They're now seeing it as something that they want to either control or or close or shrink at least. So the amount of regulation on it has 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 changed quite significantly. Um, they they they're trying to move it away from being a tourist attraction and move the tourist dimension away from the coffee shops and red lights and all of that. So that's all changed. We've played no part in that whatsoever. So I can't claim that has anything to do with my strategic plan. Um, but we can. Yeah. <laughs> when I write the book, now, <laughs> we'll endorse you. Uh, he, his 15-year plan was part of the reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I think very... I, I, I remember at the end of our first year of being there, um, a good friend of mine said to me, he, he uh, just a pastor from, from outside, travelled in, spent a few days together, and he just said, Matt, you're still here. You know, that's, like, well done. And he wasn't sort of... There wasn't faint praise, like he genuinely meant it. And that was probably the most encouraging thing anyone could have said to me at that point, because I think that really was the journey of the first year, probably first two years. Was like, okay, we just gotta, we just gotta get through this. Essentially, we've got to our, our main battle, our main victory is just gonna still being here um, and still, still just persevering. Uh, and I think is, yeah, I think if we if we hadn't moved there from another country and made as you guys did deliberate steps to settle our family there, I think we wouldn't have lasted. You know, if we just moved from like the neighbouring city, if that makes sense, I think we would have said, "Oh, this is too hard. Let's just move back." But when you sort of, you know, burnt your bridges and you thrown yourself in there, you don't really have a lot of choice. So we just sort of stuck it out. Uh, and in the end, that was—I didn't write that in my fifteen-year strategic plan. Year one survive <laughs> but that's that was really success um and you know god does a lot in you for that 
definitely. I, th- I think probably one of the qualities that for, for me is most, like essential in a church planter and depending on the context wherever wherever they're going the more of this is necessary is just is, is perseverance mm. yeah, yeah i think i think it's, it's a i mean the bible you know it talks about it being a fruit that is produced in you it produces perseverance but i think without evidence of someone who, who, who can persevere or clues that they will persevere when put to the when when the the option is confronted with them will you keep going or not i think a lot of that makes all the difference in in both being there, still going, regardless of whether we've got to a point which we think is successful or whatever or not, but it's still going. And I think faithfulness, so perseverance, I think it's a really underrated um, sort of aspect of what's necessary for church planting. I hear too, too many people sort of just talk about just keeping going. Mm. Um, um, but I, but I, yeah, I think it's I think it, I think it's essential. Yeah, I think that's that's so helpful. And and Matt mentioned the comment, and maybe we'll come back to it another time. But the, what is God doing in you as you are being faithful and persevering? And what is He revealing? And how is He molding you? And you know that that's been a big part of part of my story. Matt Matt seemed to hint similar. Um, but interestingly, Matt, you said, correct me if I'm wrong, you came with that sense of we're going to settle our family here. You had a 15 year <laughs> document. So not only is perseverance important, but that sense of we know we're coming for a good season and yeah. I, you know is it that's that's common in all stories and yeah. so if you come here going i hope after five years it's gonna be like this you're not thinking long term enough no not, I, I, I don't think yeah. so yeah, our yeah first, our first, the first the first two, two years, years of my, of my plan, plan were, were um, um settle the family, family. well it, 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 was it was in a team, team context, context so, so settle, settle our families, families um, um learn, learn the culture, the culture. Uh, and, and build, build team. team. Those were the three, three things, things for the first, the first two years. Two years. Mm. And that was and really that was helpful really for us as a team, team to sort to of set the expectations. expectations. Okay. okay, we don't we have don't to, have to, we don't have to launch, launch anything. anything. We don't have we to do anything dramatic. dramatic. It's just, just let's, let's just get to know one another, get to know the city and try and make life sustainable here. And again, it's a very unglamorous thing to talk about, but just making life work when you've moved to a new city, particularly... As you, As said, you said, just expensive, expensive places, places to, live. to live. If you can, if you make, can make it sustainable, it sustainable. you know, we you know, looked we around, around and saw missionaries, missionaries who were who had been trying to live here, and every year having to go back to, to supporters, supporters, and every, every year, year trying, trying to raise, raise X amount of money, and we just thought we just don't want to. That's that's not sustainable. You know, you can do that for a season. Some people do it long term, but that's that's definitely not a pattern to follow. And if you take that pattern, and again, we have to honor those that that's either mandatory, they can't get jobs or, yeah, you yeah. know, the, the, the model they choose. But if you, I think it means it's hard to not be an alien in the culture. Yes, yes. Whereas if you receive your money and your support, either from the church or in my case, through the, the work, it sort of embeds you in a more real way, um, which I think is essential for that long-term mentality as well to, to really make those friends and, and, and make those, that credibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have talked for a, for a while. Um, so uh, we're going to do one more question to finish. And uh, we've kind of reflected on the beginnings and our, our current point. And uh, uh, you guys have all left uh, the UK, gone to secular Europe, and you are still there, And uh, which we have talked about. Um, if you could go back now and you could talk to your 30-year-old self or the 10 years ago version of yourself or seven and a half, eight, eight years ago version, uh, what would you say either like one thing 
please don't do this or please make sure you do this much quicker than I did. Well, what would be the one thing you would tell yourself? If if well, I could Matt. get in my Bill and Ted uh, phone box and yes. travel back and speak to myself. Um, I think in my darker moments, I would say to myself, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so just don't, don't, you know, don't do it. Just choose yeah. another path. And I, but I think it, if I'd said that to myself ten years ago, or eight years ago, myself, your elders did, your elders did say it. To you. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't have listened, even if it was me saying it to myself. I would have ignored myself. Um, <laughs> that's but an actually, existential mess. No, yeah. but I mean, I'm sure we're going to have to come back to that. Though, you know, not necessarily, but the darker moments, the persevering mm. when it is actually you're like, I, I could give up or. It's just not pleasant, or it's there's something gone wrong in the church, or whatever, whatever the, the vulnerability. I, 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 we haven't really touched on that, but it's not as in it's nice to have touched on it in the opening podcast because otherwise yeah. it maybe sounds a bit too glamorous or nice. I think so. I, I probably in my brighter moments, I think I probably would just, I don't quite know what I would say, but somehow encourage myself to, I, I think, uh, take more of Phil's approach really, and just take it a bit slower, not necessarily in what I did, but in my in my heart. I think maybe it's a dynamic of not having planted a church before, but you're constantly wrestling, or at least in the early years, with this like, church planter imposter syndrome, particularly when you're in a new nation, because A, you think you feel out of place anyway. You feel out of place being a pastor or a church planter. You don't really know if anything you're doing is working because you don't have any fruit uh, you don't have any any milestones to base it against, so you can get you can get caught in a bit of an anxious loop of constantly second guessing yourself. Constantly, do, do I need to try a new thing? Do I need to read another book? Go to another conference? Do something? Uh, and I think I probably would just tell myself just to you know calm down a bit. I think just to take it a bit easy, um, just slow down and just trust God. I think probably something like that. I think I'd say. Yeah, don't beat yourself up effectively. Yeah. yeah, very good. What about you, Steve? I think I'd say uh, make sure you find someone who's older in the city, who's Irish, who can both pastor your heart a bit and give you the cultural context and mm. self-awareness of yourself and your church and how you fit. Kind of, uh, Matt started to hint at it, you're sort of a bit of an oddball out here, you know, mm. and it's all a bit vulnerable. Uh, and God gave me that person, basically. And that 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 person has been vital in in the whole thing of learning about myself, about the church, about the culture. Um, so yeah, find but find them in the city if you can, mm. or pray for them because it's it's great to have them in the UK or elsewhere. But if you can find someone local, uh, certainly for me that's been a, a, a surprising. I n- I never planned for that so much, but it's mm. happened and it's been brilliant. Yeah, very good, very good. What about you, Phil? Um. <laughs> Two things I think I think I would have probably tried to take a bit more approach that Steve took and spend longer kind of just praying and um, kind of without yeah you know just a lot more early time spent in just prayer Um, and I think probably I would have said spend more time working out how you as a group are going to do evangelism and get that embedded really early on um so that whole idea of being missionaries is is early stages part of the culture of the church plant rather than something which due to 
personality and gifting and other circumstances is something that we're now looking to try and put in a much much later and i think i would have said spend more time trying to work that out even if it's not particularly your gifting you've got to work harder at that as a, as a group so that uh, yeah probably those two things prayer and prayer and what's our what's our way of doing evangelism mm. very good well gentlemen thank you very much um uh, it's fascinating getting to know you all a little bit more in this and your stories and where you're up to now. I think we will do a few more of them. I think that the question that Steve raised about the, the darkness, <laughs> not the uh, not the horrible kind of uh, mid noughties rock band, but the that what happens when times get tough. Um, and the the kind of isolating impact maybe of church planning. I think that would be uh, fascinating to get into. Um, but there have been loads in that there. I think for me, the big take home was the, the conviction and faith at the beginning actually doesn't seem to have deserted any of you. Uh, there's uh, the, the, the plod of faith, which um, is not glamorous or in any way interesting, and nobody will buy a book about the plod of faith. Um, but actually, it's just vital, isn't it? Highly biblical, uh, under-talked about, uh, and you guys have all done it uh, as you have uh, gone on your uh, church plant journeys. So we will finish there. Uh, thank you very much for listening, uh, and uh, please like and share this podcast, or uh, keep listening, send it to your mum. It'll be great. Thank you very much. <laughs>